Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? Today, we're going to talk about the Michael Flynn case, Justice Emmett Sullivan removes his mask, Kelly Shackelford, President and CEO of First Liberty joins me, and the justice system under Obama attack. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Yes, I'm in a different studio. Same wonderful organization, Real News PR, Real News Communications Network. Construction in the studio I normally use, so we're upstairs in this different and very fun studio uh, with the, you can see freeways behind me. So uh, just very fun to be here. In the first five today, I just want to tease this story I'll come back to later in the show after our interview today with Kelly Shackelford. In Washington, D.C., we all were celebrating because just a few days ago, the Justice Department announced it was going to drop all charges against Lieutenant General Michael Flynn. We have been over this in numerous times in this show. The reason the charges are being dropped is because of evidence that became known for the first time by the criminal defense attorney for Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, Sidney Powell, handwritten notes on the side of documents written at the time related to the Michael Flynn prosecution or first his investigation then the prosecution notes which made clear that inside the Department of Justice people seem to be scheming to entrap or frame Lieutenant General Michael Flynn. Those documents never produced in the course of the original prosecution only produced because Attorney General Barr ordered another U.S. attorney to get come on the scene Jensen review documents to, to figure out whether or not the FBI, the DOJ, had actually turned over to the defense attorneys for Lieutenant General Michael Flynn everything they required to turn over, which they, there is no question about. You simply must, prosecutors must turn over all documents that may in any way help the defense. And what this lawyer discovered, U.S. Attorney Jensen discovered, were really incriminating handwritten notes by attorney, by uh, U.S. attorney officials, by uh, Department of Justice officials, making very clear that they were working very hard to frame Lieutenant General Michael Flynn. That was big news from last week, big news of this morning. I'm going to wrap up first five by saying this, and I'll come back to it again after our interview. Judge Emmett Sullivan, the federal district court judge who is hearing this case, who has now before him the motion to dismiss all charges by the Department of Justice, announced that he is seeking, he is soliciting amicus briefs, friend of the court briefs, before he enters his ruling related to their motion by the Department of Justice to dismiss the case. This is unheard of. I will tell you later some of the things that were written down by Judge, Judge Emmett Sullivan in announcing his decision to seek um, amicus briefs that are just, it, it's an unheard of thing. There are two parties to this case. It is the government, the Department of Justice, against Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, Department of Justice saying we want to withdraw all charges, we're done, and instead of granting what should have been a short, uh, yes, of course, you can dismiss charges, we're all done here, ruling, you have Emma Sullivan instead seeking input from a series of prosecutors who call themselves the Watergate prosecutors who don't want the Department of Justice to 
to uh, have filed this motion. They don't want the Department of Justice to drop the case against Lieutenant General Michael Flynn. I'll wrap up. And we'll come back to this later, but wrap up the first five by saying this is an extraordinary development, really tells a lot of people what is going on. Uh, it makes a lot of questions, raises questions of what's going on in Justice Emmett Sullivan's mind, why he would consider doing this. Great papers filed by, uh, we're, we're going to go over them also, filed by Lieutenant General Michael Flynn's attorney. Uh, just exposing the absurdity of this and the, this is, uh, the, the notion, the idea that this is not permitted by the rules that govern this court. But Sidney Powell, brilliant filing in response, we'll go over it later, but this is a very big development, really a big window on the effort inside the Washington, D.C. elite to protect the Obama administration and all of the people who are seemingly going to soon face charges because of the investigation by Attorney General Barr and U.S. Attorney Durham. A, it is a protection. It's also a means to try to discredit Attorney General Barr. More on that later. That, my friends, is today's First Five. So I mentioned at the start of the show, we have a guest joining us. We have him on phone. Uh, his name is Kelly Shackelford. I've certainly mentioned his name many times on this show. He is the president and CEO of First Liberty. This is a unique and extraordinary law firm in Texas, practices around the country, uniquely and only dedicated to taking up representation of individuals who are seeking religious freedom, who are making challenges about their religious freedom having been in some way damaged or limited. So we have and a surprising and interesting kinds of cases coming up during the coronavirus related in part to the, the entire um, uh, effort of the government to shut down the country and how those actually apply to, a, uh, to churches and a religious organizations. So without further ado, I believe we have Kelly Shackelford online. Hi, Kelly. Happy to be on, Debbie. Happy to be on. So glad you could join me. So it's, it's an amazing thing to think during this coronavirus when so much, uh, there's so much attention being paid to elected officials and some non-elected officials who are uh, really cracking down in an effort to prevent the spread of the coronavirus. And there have been, it seems, efforts in some cases to treat churches unfairly or religious organizations unfairly. And your organization, First Liberty, always available to represent those who are making challenges based on religious freedom. And I just think it's fastest because I know you have a short amount of time today. Why don't you tell us the big cases that First Liberty took on during this coronavirus to challenge orders related to shutting down institutions and how those impacted churches? Yeah, the good news is they're just violations uh, across the country, but we're, we're winning these. We, we've had to file things really all over the place, but we've got 100% win rate so far. Uh, let me start with the what I think is the seminal case, because there really had never been a major constitutional case during a pandemic. And so everybody was kind of wondering, you know, what's happening to our Constitution? Because they saw pictures of you know, fathers being handcuffed in front of their children for throwing a baseball with them in a park and, you know, people arrested for coming off, a, a, you know, a paddleboard on the ocean and, and these churches being told that they couldn't even, for instance, to drive in their cars to the church, staying in their cars for a service outside. And uh, so we, we knew that since there was no case law, we had to be really careful about the first case filed. And so we found what we thought was the right case. And right before Easter, we filed in Louisville, Kentucky, on behalf of a church, again, trying to have an Easter service and trying to make it communal without having any risk of getting the coronavirus. So 
they did a drive-in service. And many, many churches have done this where they all stay in their car. Um, they either broadcast through a, a radio frequency or a bullhorn or just a loud pastor that everybody can hear. And, of course, there's zero chance anybody's going to you know, catch the coronavirus from one automobile to another. And believe it or not, in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, this was not only a crime, but uh, the, the, the governor and the mayor said they were going to write the license plates of everybody at the churches on Easter across the state, and that then they were going to be uh, forced into a quarantine with all kinds of other criminal penalties. So we filed a lawsuit on Good Friday. Uh, the good news is uh, we won a, a federal injunction. Judge Walker, Judge Justin Walker, um, is, uh, is, you know, if you haven't read it, I'd encourage your listeners to read this opinion because it's very powerful. And it reminded the whole country that, look, the Constitution is still in place. And this type of irrational and discriminatory attack on churches or religious freedom or First Amendment rights is not going to be allowed. So that was sort of the, the beginning of all these lawsuits. I'll just say the, the sort of the bookend at this point so far is uh, just on Friday we won the other one, which is we had another case, different part of Kentucky. We've had Kentucky, Washington, Illinois, all over the country. But this one was about whether churches could meet back in person. And in Kentucky, the order said that if you were in a Home Depot in a crowd, you're fine, or in a liquor store or anywhere else. But that if you tried to hold a, a safe, uh, you know, church in service, uh, you know, in-person service, with social distancing, with people pews apart, with all kinds of safety, that's a crime, up to 12 months in jail, which is just ridiculous that you would discriminate that way only against the, the religious uh, entities. And we won not only an injunction on behalf of our client, Tabernacle Baptist Church, but the judge issued a statewide injunction against the, the governor protecting every church across the state to meet safely with their, and start their in-person services in Kentucky if the church felt that they could do so safely. So that was another, I think, really landmark victory. Uh, but we're just having to fight for freedoms to make sure that when we get through this pandemic that the new normal is not one where we have less liberty. And, uh, if, Debbie, if people want info, they can go to our website at firstliberty.org. We've got the all the layout on resources, on what the law is on, on all of this, but also even a list of the victories so they can see the cases and maybe be encouraged that we're not all having our freedoms stripped away, that if we go into court, we can win. The Constitution is still in play. But we're going to have to be vigilant right now because there's a lot of petty dictators that want to abuse their power, unfortunately. Kelly, that was a great summary, and I will tell for our listeners on my website, americacanwetalk.org, we have a link to firstliberty.org, which is their website. I do encourage you to go to it. It's full of information, firstliberty.org. You can read the kind of cases they've worked on. You can go read about past cases. They really, First Liberty has been just a leader in standing up for religious freedom in America, and it's astonishing that cases uniquely arose in America related to the coronavirus and just a crackdown out of fear or some other reason. So I'm so grateful you were there. Um, I want to, one last thing. So also on our website, sure. there's a great video of you uh, talking about what's been happening. I think it's maybe a week old or so. We've linked to it in our website too. But I urge you to watch that video. It's a great explanation of how uh, First Liberty has been on top of the game during this challenge with coronavirus, defending religious liberty. The last quick question was, you were part of sending a letter, I believe, to members of Congress arguing about the idea that the protection they are considering putting in place 
for liability of organizations, of businesses, ought to extend to churches also. Can you quickly describe that? Yeah, the, we want our businesses and our churches to open. I mean, we need that in our country. And so what, what you don't want is, I mean, if you're a, let's say you're a, you're a, you know, they're talking about businesses, but let's apply this to the churches. Um, let's say you're a church and, and you want to open, and there are, you know, 17 pages of suggestions on how to do so safely from maybe the state. Maybe there's another one in another state that has an extra 10 pages. Maybe the CDC has some others. I mean, there's no way you can follow everything that's out there. And there are people, unfortunately, looking to take advantage of that by say, going into a church and, uh, you know, there's thousands of people there or maybe 500 people there or 200 or whatever and leaving and then claiming, oh, you know, I was subjected to the coronavirus there and therefore I'm filing a major lawsuit because the churches have money. Um, the churches shouldn't be subjected to those kinds of frivolous suits. There should be a liability shield because otherwise all businesses and churches would be scared to even open up because they would be subjecting themselves to really incredible harassment. And churches, businesses that are doing things safely, that are trying to follow all the rules, uh, should be protected because we need our society back open. So we, we sent a letter on behalf of all the ma you know, major leaders around the country, denominations, rabbis, pastors, Franklin Graham, uh, Dr. Dobson, you name it, uh, to Congress laying this out. And, and hopefully, if they do end up passing something, which they've been talking about, they'll include churches and, and 501c3 uh, nonprofit religious organizations in the protection as well. So glad you spearheaded that and worked uh, to let Congress know that churches have to be part of the protection they're providing to other organizations. Kelly Shackelford, again, for our listeners, firstliberty.org, great organization, great website. Thank you for taking time and joining me today. Thank you, Debbie. Great to talk to you. Okay, folks. I, you that, too. <laughs> I would really encourage you, firstliberty.org. You'll love it, and you'll feel good about There's somebody out here. This, this, I've actually, uh, on another show I do frequently, I've um, been on air many times with Kelly Shackelford talking about these religious freedom cases, and this entire First Liberty group simply dedicated to insisting that the religious freedom of Americans is protected. The cases are so interesting, so diverse, all over the country. He built a great model in this, in this firm in that he has lawyers around the country in the various jurisdictions where the cases are brought. So he has volunteer lawyers who are experienced, already working in the area, in big law firms, helping out. It's just a great model. He's been very successful, argued successfully at the Supreme Court, and just, just a stalwart defender of religious freedom. Now I want to go back to our friend, Judge Emmett Sullivan. Again, if you're just tuning in, if you missed the first five, the Justice Department has, as everyone knew they were going to, filed a motion to dismiss all charges against Lieutenant General Michael Flynn. And the reason is that because of discovery finally forced out of the DOJ, finally because Attorney General Barr brought in a separate U.S. attorney named Jeff Jensen to look over all the documents the FBI and DOJ withheld during the prosecution, withheld from Lieutenant General Michael Flynn's attorneys, withheld by them in violation of the Brady Rule. Jeff Jensen, U.S. attorney, came in, looked at the documents and said, wait a minute, you, you can't withhold these. You had to turn these over. Among the many things that of only the portion publicly available showed that they were sitting around inside the FBI talking about 
What are we going to do to get Lieutenant General Michael Flynn? Should we set him up? Should we try to incriminate him? Can we kind of duck in the way we let him know, by the way, this, you know, you can't lie to the FBI? It was a setup. These documents made it clear. DOJ says must dismiss all charges because everyone can now see that the FBI framed him. The FBI framed Flynn. So moving forward to today, Justice uh, Judge Emmett Sullivan in the District Court in, Colum- in the District of Columbia, Federal District Court Judge, this is a simple ruling. If you are a criminal court judge and the prosecutor says, we decide to drop all charges, you don't need anyone else's opinion. There are two parties to the case. It's not a contested motion. Department of Justice wants to drop the charges. Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, the only other party to the case, also wants the charges dropped. There's nothing to argue about. The answer of the judge is, I mean, they're preliminaries, little things, but the basic answer is, of course, the DOJ can drop this case. And, and must, the, the answer of the court must be yes. Case dismissed. Sorry, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn. Thank you very much. That should be the answer. What Sullivan announced, I want to make a really, really important point and have you think about this. What has happened, there are former prosecutors, formerly who worked in the DOJ, who filed something, you know, did one of their famous letters, we disagree with the DOJ dropping charges against Flynn. They disagree. Fine. Probably lots of attorneys agree. Other attorneys disagree. It's irrelevant what former prosecutors think. Those former prosecutors sent a letter to Emma Sullivan, the judge in the case, said, we'd like to file an amicus brief. Amicus is, you know, amicus curiae is just friend of the court. That's what that means in Latin. It is a proceeding. It's, it's a kind of pleading that's fairly common in civil cases, not in criminal cases. But in civil cases, all sorts of people weigh in. Uh, some, if the court gives permission, then they'll accept amicus briefs. So Emmett Sullivan the judge who should have already ordered the case dismissed in response to the DOJ's motion issued this order. And I want you to really understand why this is so egregious. In this order, he says, this is Emmett Sullivan. Given the current posture of the case, the court anticipates that individuals and organizations will seek leave of the court to file amicus curiae briefs pursuant to local civil rule seven. He says, there is no analogous rule in the local criminal rules, but local civil rule seven governs all proceedings. And he then goes on to explain what amicus curiae briefs are. And he says that amicus briefs are filed in part to they participate in the case for the uh, only for the benefit of the court. And that he recites it's solely within the court's discretion to determine the fact, extent, and manner of participation. And he goes on to quote, I think it's a Supreme Court did, no, it's a Seventh Circuit case. He says an amicus curiae brief should normally be allowed when a party is not represented competently or is not represented at all, when the amicus has an interest. In some, other, in some other case, it may be affected by the decision of the present case. You have a related case pending, so you want to file an amicus brief in this case because it can impact your case. So he's saying, when the, the amicus has an interest in some other case, it may be affected by the decision in the present case, or when the amicus has unique information or perspective that can help the court beyond the help that the lawyers for their parties are able to provide. Let me make this crystal clear. These lawyers are calling themselves, these former DOJ lawyers are calling themselves the Watergate prosecutors. They are saying 
that the DOJ is not competent to represent the government in this case. You have to grasp this. They are so angry. These former, apparently, probably Democrat, mem former prosecutors of the DOJ are saying the DOJ's decision, because they got caught uh, proverbially with their hands in the cookie jar, they got caught framing somebody. These lawyers, the DOJ, is now not competent to represent the DOJ. They're saying the lawyers for the DOJ don't have the competence to represent the DOJ and the court would benefit from having these clowns weigh in with amicus curiae briefs. And I cannot tell you, this is unprecedented. I'll get to a moment, in a moment, what Sidney Powell filed. This is unprecedented. This is disastrous. This is wrong. This is flat out wrong. And this isn't a case where the reason the prosecution has to drop the charges is because they engaged in prosecutorial abuse because they cooked up a case against a guy who hadn't done anything wrong and their own handwritten notes made it clear. And yet Emmett Sullivan has the audacity to sua sponte, issue an order saying, hey, by the way, now that I think about it, I'm going to take in some amicus curiae briefs. This would be just as absurd to make, you know how I love analogies. If you listen to my show, I love analogies. This is like a judge being the judge in a criminal trial. He's got his jury. The jury listens to the whole thing, all the evidence. The jury comes back and says, not guilty. And the judge doesn't want to enter the jury's order of not guilty. So he says, I don't know. You know what? Let's get all these people who were in the courtroom the whole time. They heard all the evidence. Let's just make a new jury. Now that the case is over and the actual jury has found not guilty, let's just get some other people, get their opinions. What did you guys think? You were sitting here all the time. What do you think? Maybe maybe really is guilty. He has no business soliciting the opinion of former prosecutors in a motion to dismiss the case. It is a motion by the DOJ to say, we've got to throw this whole thing out. So that is Judge Emmett Sullivan. And I want to uh, share a little bit with you. It's really important to understand. I'm going to get to in a moment why Sullivan is doing this, because I do think I understand. I have a really good guess why Sullivan is doing this. And this, by the way, if you follow Sidney Powell, who is the attorney now for Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, you may recognize the name Justice Emmett Sullivan, because in Sidney Powell's first book, License to Lie, he's actually a good guy. Just Judge Emmett Sullivan, in that case, sided against the DOJ, against some of the same bad actors now involved in this mess, in the, in the whole Trump-Muller collusion thing, and Emmett Sullivan was then a hero. He was then willing to stand up and say, I don't care if you're the DOJ or who you are, you can't make up stuff. You can't do this. He was actually willing to crack down on some of the wrongdoing inside the DOJ in earlier cases, specifically the case involving Alaska, an Alaskan senator who was prosecuted for no reason. And the DOJ had to take that back too. It got reversed. But back to what Sidney Powell filed. It's a brilliant filing. I really want, it's just, I, I am not going to get all legal beagle deep because I know it might get boring, but these are important things to understand that she's making her argument. This is Sidney Powell, who is the most tenacious, relentless, determined advocate that Lieutenant General Michael Flynn could ever have found. I am sure he is thankful every day he found her and that he found her and that she would take his case. So she filed a motion and she points out and you got to just, this is unbelievable. In this whole criminal prosecution, she points out, you know, actually, 
There were 24 times in the course of this criminal prosecution of Lieutenant General Michael Flynn when somebody wanted to file an amicus brief. Someone said, hey, I, I want to file a brief. I'd like to weigh in on this. And the answer of the correct answer of Judge Emmett Sullivan every time was no. So 24 times in this case, he refused to allow an amicus curiae brief, curiae brief to be filed in the middle of a criminal case. But this time he's saying, yeah, actually, no. In fact, his, he didn't just... Um, he didn't just allow it. He solicited it. He encouraged it. He talked about it as, as though something, yeah, I could kind of use some advice, see what everybody else thinks. You know, maybe I can think of some different things. So, I, I mean, it is a, is it beyond, beyond egregious. The other thing that she, Sidney Powell, points out uh, over and over in this case, there is no basis. There is no basis in the rules that actually govern this case. There is no basis in the rules that permit the judge to do this. She, he's misciting the rules and saying, well, these rules over here in the civil cases, yeah, they govern here. She's saying, no, they don't. No, they don't. You don't have authority to accept amicus briefs. So this will uh, play out. I don't know how it's all going to play out, but I do want to make a couple other points. So she, Sydney Powell, is on the job, on the mission, pointing out you just can't do this. She's pointing out the, um, just the audacity of the entire case to start with, that you had this poor man raked over the coals with a false charge by the DOJ for three years. And, and yet here we are trying to decide whether or not he's allowed to even finally have the, uh, the case dismissed. But I want to tell you what I really think is going on and why. And I'm, I want actually two more things about uh, Sidney Powell's filing. By the way, I put a link to this on our website, americacanwetalk.org. You should read these things yourself because her filings, she's a brilliant lawyer, but she writes in pretty much plain English. So if you want to read these, if you wonder if there is some argument that maybe Sullivan should ask any old attorney or everybody who wants to file something to weigh in, you know, read what she has to say. She makes the point really, really clearly. No rule allows this filing. The self-proclaimed collection of Watergate prosecutors has no cognizable special interest. She points out separation of powers forecloses their appearance. The only parties in this case are the Department of Justice and the defense. She points out specifically the rules, the federal rules of criminal procedure, the local criminal rules of this court. There's no analogy, no permission for amicus curiae briefs. And she points out, I mean, this is, it's a great brief because she really is laying out making it crystal clear to everyone paying attention that Judge Emmett Sullivan has no basis for what he's doing. He has no basis in the law for what he's doing. He is clearly siding with the Department of Justice or really with the, it's not the Department of Justice, he's siding with the Obama supporters who are very, 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 very worried about what's coming down the pike with uh, with the investigation with, with Attorney General Barr and the Justice Department and what US, the U.S. Attorney Durham is going to come up with, which is what I'll get to in one moment. But she also points out, she just lambastes him in her filing saying, Judge Sullivan, you said in all the other times it got raised in this case, no amicus briefs. What are we doing here? And she even cites Emma Sullivan's own language in refusing to let other amicus briefs get filed throughout this case. 
This court has received several motions to intervene, file an amicus brief, along with letters in support from private individuals who is neither a party to the case nor counsel of record for any party. The fact, this is Judge Emmett Sullivan in his own words. And you have to recognize, I'm going to guess, in this case, friends of Lieutenant General Michael Flynn wanted to file something. They wanted to say, this is a really good guy. He's getting railroaded. They wanted to file amicus briefs, and Emmett Sullivan was having none of it. Here's Emmett Sullivan's own language. The federal rules of criminal procedure do not provide for intervention by third parties in criminal cases. That should be like, period, end of story. The court recognizes that the movement, the moving party, sincerely believes he has information to share that bears on the case and understandably wants to be heard. Options exist for a private citizen to express their views about matters of public interest, but the court's docket is not an available option. This docket is the record of official proceedings related to criminal charges brought by the United States against an individual who has pled guilty to a criminal offense. Sidney Powell is doing a knockdown, drag out, fabulous job representing Flynn. And now I want to turn to why I think that what is really going on and why you would have Judge Emmett Sullivan, who knows better. He actually knows the federal rules of criminal procedure. He knows this is impermissible. He knows that the Department of Justice is moving to dismiss cases against Lieutenant General Michael Flynn because they got caught framing him. Everyone who pays attention to the case knows that. But he, Emmett Sullivan, is willing in a high-profile federal case to issue an order allowing amicus briefs when there's no basis for that in law at all, and everyone watching knows it. So he has to have a really, really, really big reason he would violate his duty as a judge and permit this absurdity of amicus briefs by lawyers with nothing to do with the case in the context of this motion to dismiss, which the only right answer he should be saying is, yes, case dismissed, the end. One reason people float, they do wonder, because all of the really bad actors inside the DOJ, inside the FBI, who arm-twisted, coerced, spied, harassed American citizens trying to get some way to get Donald Trump out. All the Mueller investigation, all the Trump-Russia collusion hoax was singularly designed to find a way to get rid of President Trump. And the parties that pushed all of this had, they, they had, there was no limit to the depth of evil they would engage in. No limit. And so they would find people like Manafort, like Stone, like Lieutenant General Flynn, cook up a case. They did a lot of what we call the perjury, the perjury trap investigations where they would, we've talked about this in the show before, where they would get someone cornered into a position where they could formally charge perjury, even though the person hadn't really lied, because everyone knows once you're in the evil clutches of the DOJ, you're never going to get out. You're not going to get found not guilty. So you had bad actors over and over and over inside the DOJ torturing American citizens to, in their quest, their unrelenting quest to bring down President Trump. And so many people speculate, maybe they got to Judge Emmett Sullivan. Maybe they got to him.
This is a judge who used to do the right thing, did the right thing as to the DOJ in, previous, in the, in the uh, Senator Paul Stevens case, the Alaska senator, completely set up by them. He did the right thing in that case. That's one possibility. I don't know. But it's out there being discussed. But I think the undeniable aspect of all this in which you just, it's almost, I can't imagine how anyone could hear what I'm about to say and say, oh no, that's not what's going on. The entire Democrat establishment in Washington is at the edge of insanity, at the edge of hysteria over what is now coming out from the Department of Justice in relation to the entire Trump-Russia collusion hoax. All of it. Sidney Powell said in an interview a couple weeks ago, I think she said in my show, other shows too, oh, more is coming, more big stuff is coming. You now finally have one actor, you have Attorney General Barr, you have U.S. Attorney Durham, you have the special counsel brought in, special U.S. attorney brought in by Barr, this guy Jeff Jensen, all of them looking at things, and Sidney Powell's seen more than we have, and people saying this is big trouble for the Obama team. Just the things we talked about, I think Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday this week on this show, we talked about the idea that for the first time, everyone can see that Obama, while still president, early January 2017, he's going to be leaving office in a few weeks, held that meeting inside January 5th in the Oval Office. Every big, important, consequential national security leader in this country in the room and it became very obvious to people there that Obama was well aware that the FBI was spying on Flynn, already knew about Flynn's call with a Russian ambassador, the Russian uh, official, and people in that room, some in that room, Sally Yates is saying, well, why does he know this? How can, I mean, that's now come out. So everyone's very worried that President Obama was in the thick of everything cooking up the Trump-Russia collusion, well aware of everything the DOJ was doing, well aware of what the FBI was doing, well aware they were trying to set up candidate Trump and then President-elect Trump to be taken down. And if this is true, if Obama had his fingers in the middle of it, then he has a lot of explaining to do. So back to Judge Emmett Sullivan. There are people in Washington very worried the entire Obama era is going to soon be sullied by the facts coming out of what he did, what he knew, what he allowed to happen on his watch. There is great concern that President Obama is not only potentially going to have his, what the left thinks is his legacy, which I think is a terrible legacy, but his legacy tarnished, his reputation in ruins, and even potentially facing criminal charges. Emma Sullivan, an insider in D.C., a, I'm, I, I'm nearly sure a Democrat, is not wanting to have all of the destruction that's about to happen to the entire Obama legacy, to the Department of Justice, the, the big players in the DOJ, the big players in the FBI, all of that is about to come out. And Emmett Sullivan is not happy about that. And to be clear, all of this effort, Sullivan letting amicus curiae briefs be filed, it permits delay. They got to get filed. They may going to have to hearing to talk about them. The public's going to see them. 
and then you're going to have delay and all this time you're building up more bad headlines more i'm sure all of these lawyers who want to file amicus briefs are going to fill their briefs with brilliant you know just snarky short you know bait click headlines the kind of uh, you know headlines that, that just sound like like horrible things were, are, are taking place that are attacking attorney general barr attacking everyone who is helping him at all durham barr jensen whoever else what emmett sullivan has done is set up a time frame he set up time for amicus curiae briefs to be filed for the contents of them to be spilled all over the headlines every single left-wing outlet in this country will be snatching phrases out of all these filings and saying well you know famed esteemed prosecutor joe blow he says this about Barr. he says Barr is a bad guy he says Barr. he says this all of those are building up ammo to destroy attorney general Barr, and more importantly to throw doubt to cast doubt to delegitimize on everything that Barr is about to come out with. This is, in my opinion, the motive behind Justice Emmett Sullivan's absurd, unprecedented, unlawful permission for amicus curiae briefs to be filed in a criminal case. We're even past, we're not talking about sentencing. In any criminal case, you don't do amicus curiae. And sentencing, there might be some arguable somebody going to weigh in, but and this is simply a motion to dismiss because the Justice Department got caught framing somebody. There is, it's not even debatable. It, it should, should be granted with a big fat apology. But instead, Justice Emmett Sullivan has set in place what will be a circus of headlines over the next weeks and months. All the filings will be made public. All of them will have brilliant phrases demeaning Barr, demeaning Flynn, demeaning Jensen, demeaning Durham, knocking them, ridiculing them, attacking their character, all with the intent. So when Attorney General Barr and Durham finally come out with, with what they've been doing, this investigation that seems to be going so slowly, when it finally comes out, they come out with their list of people inside the FBI and, and the DOJ who are facing criminal charges, who either have been indicted, if there's a secret grand jury, or will indict, be indicted, all of that, when it comes out, is going to be monstrously horrible for the Democrat Party. The Democrat Party is already shaking in their boots, quaking in their boots, but they know that once this comes out, the American people are going to be livid with what their tax dollars were used to do, what the FBI and DOJ did to the country. And so Emma Sullivan's effort to say, well, let me give a little more time to destroy Barr, to, to give re people reason to attack Attorney General Barr, to, re to give them all sorts of clips and fancy phrases we can pull out of all these briefs, all of that is designed to attack and, and delegitimize Attorney General Barr. And I got to tell you something, folks. I, what I think should happen, I really think at this point, you know, we, 
for months now, people have been saying, okay, Attorney General Barr, U.S. Attorney Durham, what else are we waiting for? Uh, aren't you close? I mean, what don't you know already? And you're always hearing, we have to follow every lead. We have to follow up every detail. We have to dot all our I's and cross all our T's. And we can't have, leave any stone unturned. And we can't leave any legal loose end. We have to tie it all up before we bring charges. But it's getting to the point. And now this particular action, choice of action by Justice Emmett Sullivan, should drive... Attorney General Barr to decide, you know what? I'm releasing it all. We cannot wait till we have a perfect case against every single possible bad actor. We can't wait for the perfect case, everything, all our ducks in a row, because at this point, Attorney General Barr can see exactly what Sullivan is doing. Attorney General Barr, it's his DOJ that said to Judge Emma Sullivan, we want these charges dropped. And Sullivan is, is acting like maybe it's a debatable motion. Maybe we should have a bunch of other players. Maybe we'll have, you know, the garbage man ought to come in too and say what he thinks. The letting people weigh in on a, a case of this prominence when the entire country can see, as Attorney General Barr has said in numerous interviews, this is the biggest scandal in American history. This is the biggest national law enforcement political scandal in American history. You literally had a coup attempt inside the DOJ, the FBI, ongoing for months involving numerous high-level players. And it's finally, there's finally a little bit of crack in, the, in, in their protection. They thought they were all protected. They thought Hillary would win and none of this would come out. They still thought they could move forward. No one would speak. No one would ever speak up. Nothing would ever be known. They thought they could just steamroll the country and get away with this. And that's what the Trump-Mueller collusion hoax was, was just another attempt to take Trump out. They thought that they were going to take him out with that. And then, fortunately, the truth came out after Mueller, all of his investigation, truth came out, nothing there. Then they thought they could take him out through the impeachment effort, and that proved to be equally ridiculous when, even though the, the Democrat-controlled House was happy to vote to impeach, when America could see you had the Democrat presidential candidate, the apparent candidate-elect Biden, doing exactly on screen that everyone in America who cares has seen, doing and admitting out loud to the thing they falsely accused Trump of doing, and they still thought that would be a really smart basis to go after impeachment. I'm telling you folks, this is an enormously consequential time in this country because what you're seeing is the determination of the left, the willingness of the left to do anything to hold on to power, to do anything to hold on to power. This leftist cabal that is spearheaded you know, maybe Brennan, the head of the CIA, cooked up all of the big plan of how to take down Trump. But you had President Obama, the legacy of the American left, the, you know, the one they just hold up as the, you know, he was there, was there just you know, most important president and, and best president in a century, you know, in a lifetime, whatever they want to say about him. And his entire legacy is about to go down. And they can see this. And they will do anything to stop it. So you have Emma Sullivan 
plodding along, pretending somehow I can't really make a motion, I can't make a decision. So I, I just, it, it's an amazing t time to behold. Uh, I think Sidney Powell, whatever, she, whatever she is paying, um, being paid by Flynn is not quite enough. And by the way, even though, just to be clear, even though the left came up with these former Watergate prosecutors who filed some motion or filed, wrote a letter to, Sul to Emmett Sullivan saying they want to file an amicus brief because they want to say, you know, we can't start dismissing cases after someone's pled guilty. Those people, those lawyers who signed on to that, they are of the same mindset, the same ilk, the same evil of the left inside the DOJ and the FBI who committed this entire assault on our country, assault on the rule of law, this entire coup against Trump. The lawyers who would sign that, the Watergate prosecutors who would sign that saying we can't drop these charges, these are people, they're smart enough to know what you know if you listen to this show, smart enough to know what millions of Americans know, that the DOJ tried to, the FBI tried to set up Flynn and they, and they even forced a, a confession out of him, a guilty plea out of him, out of sheer exhaustion and fear that they were going to go after his son. Those attorneys who signed that, they know those facts. They know what Bill Priestap wrote on those notes that were finally turned over to the defense attorney for Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, finally turned over. They know that. And they still would sign that letter. They still are so protective of the Obama legacy, of the legacy of the radical left in this country, of the Obama era takeover of our, of our agencies, of the FBI and the DOJ and a whole bunch of other ones in Washington. These people would sign their name on a letter knowing what the FBI did to Flynn because it's more important to them to hold on to what they were part of doing, what they believe in, which was the leftist takeover of this country and the Obama-era destruction of the DOJ, the FBI, the rule of law in this country. And by the way, it is not those Watergate attorneys who are saying we're the Watergate prosecutors. They're not the only ones. There are also former prosecutors and the DOJ weighing in saying that essentially Justice Emmett Sullivan's decision to seek amicus curiae briefs in a motion to dismiss based on fraud perpetrated on the court, there, I mean, that is the only answer of an honest former U.S. attorney. I, I tell you guys, this is just a, so kind of related to this story, um, before I, I do want to hit one other uh, piece of this, um, about this justice system under attack by Obama. This is the Obama era thinking that permeated the FBI, the DOJ, the CIA, the NSA, the State Department, the whole Obama era mindset, which was he was there to radically transform this country. He was there to belittle the idea of America the great, America the unique, America the exceptional, America the strong, America the free. Obama worked for eight years to undermine the idea of America. And there are plenty of people in this country who agree with him, who don't like the idea of America's unique greatness, who don't like the idea of American freedom, who don't like the idea of America as, a, as the superpower of the world that stands up for justice. There are plenty of Americans who don't like that, who don't like the idea that, that 
they thought what Obama was doing was great. It was finally bringing America down to size, finally showing we don't think we're anything unique. We're nothing special. We're just one of many countries. There are plenty of Americans who agreed with Obama. Plenty of Americans who thought his fundamental transformation, which was pulling America away from its roots of freedom and putting America more into line with the intellectual elite ruling class idea of an internet, we're more globalist, we're very international, we don't, there's nothing special about America. Plenty of Americans thought that. They thought it was fine for him to do that. Other Americans supported Obama because they didn't know what he was doing. They thought he was charming and had a really nice personality and seemed like a nice guy and they just, and they're Democrats and they went along with it. But the really big thinkers in this country, the left, the leftist cabal in this country, they saw exactly what Obama was doing and they were fine with it. And Obama needed Hillary to win the election of 2016 because she would perpetuate what he was doing, the destruction of the unique greatness of America. That's what Obama's agenda was. That's what he hoped Hillary would continue, perpetuate. And when President Trump came along, he didn't just happen to have an R by his name. He happened to be someone who'd say, America is a good, unique, extraordinary, great country, and we're going to build America back up again. We're going to rebuild our economic strength. We're going to bring jobs back to this country. We're going to reassert ourselves as a free market economy. We're not going to be a socialist nation. We're going to have secure borders. Everything that Trump stands for, everything he pushed, was 180 degrees opposite of what Obama was trying to do to this country. And this is why there can be such a leftist cabal so livid at the Trump victory. It wasn't just Trump's personality. It wasn't just Trump, ah, you know, he's a loudmouth. He's, you know, he's too brash. He's too harsh. He doesn't speak in, in a statesmanlike way. The left didn't hate Trump because of the way he speaks. They may not like it, but what the left hated about Trump's campaign and Trump's victory was they could see someone who was going to reassert the identity and the unique greatness of America. Our economic strength, our strength as a culture, our sovereignty, our prosperity, our freedom to bring back freedom to this country, bring back jobs and the self-reliant American spirit and, the, and the America as a powerhouse of production. That is what Obama deplored about the Trump campaign and about then the Trump presidency. This is what the left hates about Trump because what they could see that President Trump wasn't just, you know, has an R instead of a D by his name, but President Trump is going to undo so much of the evil that Obama put in place for eight years. And this is why leftists in this country deplore Trump because he actually believes in the goodness of America. He actually believes in the importance of the ideals of America. He actually believes in the concept of a sovereign nation with borders, with a sovereign government that does not capitulate to the international bodies of any kind, UN, WHO, or anybody else. This is why the left is so outraged by President Trump, because he dares to stand up for the idea of America. And when you, when what is now coming out, was now coming out, we're just learning what happened, what the Obama era people were doing. And then after Trump won the election in November of 2016, the Obama era people, the, the leftists were in, on, on hyperdrive, on overdrive 
we have to find a way to get rid of this man. It's not just because they wanted their gal Hillary to win and she didn't. It's because Trump is undoing everything, everything the left believes in, undoing it all. And this, in their view, justifies anything they have in mind to do. Making up the Trump-Russia collusion hoax out of whole cloth, out of nothing. There was never anything to it. In fact, that reminds me, uh, one uh, point I want to hit um, on this Obama stuff was, it was kind of amazing. Um, there was a, uh, a, a statement by Senator Grassley on the floor of the Senate, Iowa, Republic, Iowa Republican Senator Grassley on the floor of the Senate demanded answers from former President Barack Obama, said this on the Senate floor on Monday of this week. He said, last week, former President Obama said the rule of law is at risk because of the Justice Department's dismissal of the Michael Flynn case. I believe the opposite is true. The rule of law is at risk if the federal government can get away with violating the Constitution to do what they did to Lieutenant General Flynn. And when it comes to these violations and other misconduct by former government officials, Obama and the mainstream media pundit circle are silent. So last Thursday, the DOJ moves to dismiss the charges because what else are they going to do? They're stuck. And then you had the release of these notes that are, are truly beginning to seem like they're going to set up, uh, that Flynn was being set up in a perjury trap, uh, organized by former FBI Director Comey. And so you have Grassley just saying he's getting it out there, getting it out there for the American people to understand. You know, one little tidbit about Comey I kept meaning to say in the show, and I never got around to saying it, but back in 2018, um, there was a statement by Comey bragging about flouting formal, formal protocol to question senior White House official. Comey was bragging about the idea that he went ahead and did the questioning of Flynn really because, you know, the Trump people, the, you know, they, they, these people weren't up to speed. So his statement was exactly... In 2008, he bragged about flouting formal protocol, something I probably wouldn't have done or gotten away with in a more organized investigation, a more organized administration. So my friends, I, uh, this time races by every week while I talk to you. I love doing every day while I talk to you. I love doing this show. I close this show every day by telling you again why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So to start with, we talked about the Flynn case. Emmett Sullivan removed his mask. Judge Emma Sullivan, presiding over the Flynn case, is now soliciting friend-of-the-court briefs from third parties as to arguments against dismissing the Flynn plea deal. After DOJ has dismissed all charges because of improper DOJ behavior and lack of a crime, another statement they have acknowledged, he didn't commit a crime. Statement out of the DOJ, Flynn did not commit a crime. Sullivan previously ruled 24 times in the Flynn case that no such briefs were permitted by law. There is no possible justification for Sullivan's action if there's a respect for truth. The truth is documented. Obama's DOJ FBI framed Flynn and extorted a plea by threatening to prosecute Flynn's son. DOJ FBI criminality against an innocent man. This is about protecting Obama by pressuring Attorney General Barr. This ruling marks the depth and rot of the D.C. swamp. Declassification of everything about the Russia collusion hoax must occur ASAP, and Sullivan should be impeached. And the other topic of today, justice system under Obama attack. DOJ spokesman Carrie Kupak, I didn't even get a chance to talk about her today. She did a great interview, and she said 
She quoted, she's a spokesman for the DOJ. What happened to candidate Trump was one of the greatest political injustices in history. The full declassification disclosure of all documentation relating to the orchestration of the Russia collusion hoax will expose Obama, his administration, and the mainstream media as dishonest, lawless, and corrupt on a scale never seen in American history. Every senior leader on both sides of the political aisle knows this. Political pressure inside the Beltway may be at an all-time high. America's survival as a free people under the rule of law depends on outing the full truth now. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so much for listening Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can you-